Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. We're in a series called Finishing Strong. And we're in part four today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where our text is every week. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Paul says, remember that in a race, everyone runs, but only one gets the prize. So you must run, talking to believers now, in such a way that you will win. God wants us to win. And God says, I want you to run with the full intent to be successful, to win, to determine the outcome. You're not a good loser. God wants you to win. God wants you to do well, to be ambitious with your life, to determine to be great at what you do, not somebody else. All athletes practice strict self-control. They do it to win a prize that will, well, it was hot. I didn't want to come to church today. All great athletes discipline their body. Body, get up. I don't feel like, I don't care how you feel. Get up. Anybody but me have to tell your body that? Yeah. Well, an athlete does the same thing. God says, spiritually, you've got to do the same thing. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's in within me. I'm telling my body what it's going to do. It's not telling me what I'm going to do. I'm trying to apply this real simple. All these great athletes do it to win a prize that will ultimately fade away. But we believers do it for an eternal prize. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I am not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should do, but probably doesn't want to do, right? Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. I wish I had a church that talked back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go rent myself out to an African-American church where they talk. I said, brother, preach it. Amen, brother. Yeah. Help him, Jesus. <laughs> Come on. Okay. There was a classic movie. I've watched it maybe six times. It's still on TV. It's called City Slicker. Anybody remember that? Jack Palance is called Curly, and he is tough, rough cowboy. He's given Billy Crystal, this city boy, some strong medicine for life that he doesn't want to take. So Palance, this old, rough, seasoned cowboy, and Crystal, who is this highly stressed businessman from New York, is paying for a two-week vacation on a dude ranch. Watch the clip. You all come up here about the same age, same problems. Spend about 50 weeks a year getting knots in your rope, and then, then you think two weeks up here will have time for you. None of you get it. Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you've got to figure out. So, 
Have you figured it out yet? I'll tell you what I think it is. It's finishing life strong, finishing life well. Not perfect, that's not possible. But finishing it well, that is possible. So the greatest thing you can leave behind is not your 401k or a big inheritance. The best thing you can leave behind is an example of a life well lived. I like the way Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He said, I don't mean to say I'm perfect. Obviously, I'm not. I haven't learned all I should yet, but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be yet, but I am bringing all my energy and effort to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ did for us. Well, that was Paul's one thing, forgetting the past, which would be good for some of you, and straining towards the finish line, the future, with all of his strength. So it's appropriate for a man or a woman to evaluate how you're doing. Not only is it good to evaluate the years you've already lived, but it's wise to consider how you want to spend the rest of your life from this point on. And let me pause to say this. I remember telling my dad, uh, this is before he died, who was moaning about how he had wasted 75 years of his life, and he did. And I remember telling him as a late bloomer and a late believer in Jesus, I remember saying to him, there is a good scripture, Dad, about the rest of your life that's left. God says, I will restore the years the enemy has stolen from you. That means God's not going to give you an extra 75 years. He's going to make the quality of your remaining years better than the years you lost because you you wasted your living bad choices in your life. So it's how you finish, not how you start. And for a lot of you midlifers, you can change today and rewrite the finish of your life for the future. That's good to know. You know, there was a wonderful book put out years ago by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And Covey discusses the importance of having a personal mission statement. A mission statement kind of sums up your personal philosophy or creed about life. It articulates your values that represent your, you, the person. Personal mission statements are important, and that's why some people spend weeks or days developing something unique to their own life. Some executives will spend thousands of dollars to travel to some exotic place to think about life and hammer out their mission statement. There are some ideas from Covey's friend, Rolf Kerr. This is what he suggested. Number one, succeed at home first. Good advice. Number two, never compromise with honesty. Number three, hear both sides before judging. Well, Barbara told me, I don't care what Barbara said. Barbara's not the one who got involved in the problem. She heard about the problem. Talk to the other side first. 
or you'll think the other person's a serial killer. And each one is going to give you their slant. So be careful, right? If it were you, you'd want someone to be fair, wouldn't you? So treat others the way you want to be treated. Number four, obtain the counsel of others before you get in a submersible. Okay, I'm, I'm a boat guy and an airplane guy, and I want wise counsel before I risk my life. Okay? Are you getting wise counsel? And did you just pull the trigger? Ready, fire, aim. It's too late. You've got to get wise counsel. You make the decision, but get some wise counsel from proven experience somebody who's done well in the area you need advice. Would that make sense? Yeah, my uncle's had 12 jobs and he's broker than the Ten Commandments. Well, yeah, get some financial advice from him. Number, number five, defend those who aren't present in your discussion. Defend them. Number six, keep a sense of humor. I do that one really good. All right. Number seven, listen twice as much as you speak. I'm doing much better. Okay, you go sit there and judge me, but I know some of you. Number eight, plan tomorrow's work today. Number nine, maintain a positive attitude. See, it's a statement that reflects the values and philosophy of how this man wants to live his life. I guess it was about 20 years ago as I was edging through the door of midlife, like some of you, I came up with my own mission statement. And it didn't cost me thousands of dollars. I didn't have to fly to some exotic place. And it didn't even take a day. Frankly, it only took about two minutes. Here it is. Don't screw up. How's that? It's not long, not sophisticated, certainly not very religious but it's actually real. And as I live out the last half of my life, I don't want to screw it up. I don't want to screw up my marriage. I don't want to screw up my relationship with my children. I don't want to screw up my integrity. One day in the future, I'll have a funeral, and so will you. Have you ever given any thought to what you'd like written on your gravestone? I think it'd be okay for mine to read Richard L. Godwin. Born 1944, died, epithet. He didn't screw up. Yeah, not perfect, but didn't screw up. See? What, why would I like that? Because it would mean that I went the distance. I finished life reasonably well. And folks, there's no good reason that any of us shouldn't finish well. None. Nobody sitting here, nobody watching online. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. God's divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his own great and precious promises so that through these great promises, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I hope you got that, that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. So then why do so many believers who have been given everything through Christ 
still fail to finish strong, don't go the distance. Basically because they choose to step out from under the Lord's protection and his power. Those 10 guys with Joshua and Caleb, when they went to spy out the land, could have gone the distance. They could have finished well, but they chose to step out from under God's protection. They had a greater fear of man than they did of God. Remember, they, they said, we be not able. We saw this great land, and we saw the giants there. And Joshua and Caleb, the other two, said, well, God told us they're bred for us. He's given us the land. Let's go. We are more than able. Let us go up at once. And 10 guys stepped out from under God's protection and never got in the promised land and never was mentioned again. Their names are never mentioned again in the Bible, except Joshua and Caleb. They've, oh, Joshua had to hang out in that lousy church with all those unbelievers until they all died that were over 20. Every day, thump, 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 thump. People hitting, hitting the desert, hitting the sand. Boom, 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 boom. 40 years. Then they got in. And at 85, old Joshua said, I'm as strong this day as I was when I first got in that land. I want that mountain. I like that. And he got it. So there's no reason any of us can't finish strong. But you've got to believe what God says and stand on his promise no matter who you're parents were, what country you live in, what happened in your past. An old parable told by a Haitian pastor kind of makes the point. Here's what he wrote. A certain man wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it real bad, but he was a poor man and didn't have the full price. After bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house to the man for $1,000, but the reduced price came with a stipulation. The owner would sell the house but he would keep ownership of a large nail protruding from over the front door. Several years later, the original owner decided he wanted to buy the house back. Understandably, the new owner was unwilling to sell. As a result, the original owner went out, found the carcass of a dead dog in the street, and hung it from the nail over the front door. Soon, the house became unlivable and the family was forced to sell to the owner of the nail. So the Haitian pastor concluded the story saying, if we leave the devil with even one small nail in our life, he will return to hang his rotten garbage on it. Doesn't the Bible say give no place, foothold to the enemy? You leave a door open, the enemy's just going to walk right in, set yourself down. That, remember that old song? Walk right in. Sit right down. Baby, let your hair hang. Oh, they were okay. Okay, I, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Help me over there. So, so you may own the entire home, your life, but if you give the enemy access just just one nail in your life, it will put you in a high-risk bracket. And the enemy doesn't always take total advantage of it for years when he can do the most damage to you and maybe others with you. So let me ask you a question. Is there a nail over your front door, a nail that you have leased out to the enemy? Huh? You better deed that over to Jesus now. See, if we're going to finish strong, if we're going to keep from being ambushed by the enemy, we need a simple plan that will enable us to anticipate and avoid all these ambushes that are on our path. 
People who go the distance and finish strong do basically four things well. Number one, they stay in. Number two, they stay close. Number three, they stay away. And number four, they stay alert. And as you study the lives of men and women who finish strong in the Bible, you discover that all four of these truths are in their lives. Now, we only have time for the first one today, and that is they stay in. They stay in the Word. Now, the term used throughout the Bible for this exercise is called meditation. When Joshua was handed the reins of the nation to Israel, here's what God told him. Turn to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. I want to learn from people who made it. If I want to be a successful real estate salesman or a car salesman, I'd find the most successful person or company and go to work for them at any price or sacrifice. I would study, listen, and replicate what these successful people do. How hard is that? I wouldn't go down to Denny's and gather around having coffee with all the guys who are talking about how hard the market is. I'm going to learn from the guys who can produce in good times and bad times. They know something I don't know, and they know how to do it better. I remember when we started the church, I hung out with guys who were building great churches or who were way ahead and had already done so. I could learn from them. I'm not going to sit around having coffee with guys that run 75 people for 20 years and haven't had a fresh idea in 20 years because they don't think and they don't act and they don't talk the same. A winner's thinking and vocabulary is a lot different than a loser. If you live in a certain neighborhood, if you grew up with certain parents, if you were surrounded with certain relatives, they thought and talked a certain way. And it may be totally contradictory to a scriptural verbiage of growing up in the kingdom of God as to how we speak and how we approach a problem. So if I want to finish strong and go the distance, I'm not going to make Samson my ideal for manhood. Hello. I want to learn from somebody who finished strong, who went the distance like Joshua, okay? So now let's read Joshua chapter 1. It's a good one. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, this book of the law, that's God's word, shall not depart from your mouth. Pause a minute. He's not talking about eating paper or a scroll. He's talking about speak it, declare God's word. When you face a giant, when you face a circumstance, when you face a crisis, when you face a problem, take God's word and speak it. He said, let my word be in your mouth. Not CNN, not Fox News, not a Republican or Democrat or uh, Anglo or Hispanic. Let my word be in your mouth. When Jesus had to deal with the enemy, all he did is quote scripture against him. Get behind me, for it is written. Now, if the almighty Son of God had to quote Scripture, who are you? Yeah. See, I can't do that for you. That's something you learn to do. And better to do it poorly to start than not do it at all. So he says, don't let my word depart from your mouth. I don't care what your uncle said. I don't care what your mommy said. What did God say? But you shall meditate on my word day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. For when you, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Notice, not the government making you prosperous, not a rich uncle. You will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. So it's in your hands. 
Have not I commanded you? Be strong, be courageous, do not tremble, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So when I say meditate, I'm not talking about Eastern mysticism or watching the Maharishi or the Dalai Lama. Now I'm going to vent for a minute. It irks me when these guys come over here to tell America and to tell us that their way of life and thinking is the key to success and prosperity. I mean, Maharishi, if it's so darn good, how come it ain't working where you come from? They're all broke until they get to America. Then we make them rich. And then they teach us what produced nothing in their own country. I'm sorry. I uh, know. Am I missing something here? There are guys that come over from far, all of them come to America to get a resident visa because the money's here. The opportunity's here. It's not there. But to me, if I stood with a small group and we all began to do what God said to do from our health to our money to our relationships to our marriage, it would seem to me if God's word is eternal and true, it'd work for us. It would work for us. Wouldn't matter what my race was. Wouldn't matter what my nationality was. Wouldn't matter what country it's from. Only Americans will go to a hotel and pay some guy $5,000 to listen to something that doesn't work in his own country. And these same people who go to the hotel won't come here to church, won't give any money to learn from the most successful book ever written, the Bible. Full of wisdom. It's eternal. Well... So what is meditation? Now, you may be thinking, Rick, that's great for Joshua, but I got a company to run. I've got people to manage, decisions to make, and I can't think about the Bible all day long. I get it. Neither did Joshua. He didn't sit around all day thinking about every aspect of God's Word. He had a nation to manage. Hello? He had to figure out how to feed all these people, protect them, and mobilize them for battle when challenged in combat. Joshua was as busy, if not more, than you and I. And remember, this was a nation on the move. So how do you meditate? Ever read your Bible, and maybe you've read it a verse or you've heard it many, many times, but suddenly it leaps off the page at you with life, and it applies to a situation or a decision you're struggling with. Now, you may have seen these verses before, but didn't do anything, but now it seems to jump off the page like it's in bold print or neon. When that happens, you want to mark that verse. That is a rhema verse for you, an anointed verse for you. It's for you. It lit you up. You suddenly got it, although you may have heard it for years. Get a highlighter, mark it, make it stand out. Get a Bible app, and on that you can highlight that verse too. But do something to make that verse that jumped at you, stand out. I'll show you one. Uh, years ago, I heard a verse jumped at me, and I've never forgotten it, many of them, but this is just one for an illustration. Ephesians 6, 8. I don't even have to look it up. Whatever you make happen for someone else, God will make happen for you. I can't get away from that. So whatever I make happen for somebody else, if I have the means the wherewithal, the influence, connecting somebody to somebody they can meet it. God says, I will make that happen for you. So the person I help doesn't owe me anything. 
God says, I will make it happen for you. Isn't that good? So I, well, sorry, God, I can't believe I did that for him and he's done nothing for me. No, no, God says, stop that. I'll make it happen for you. That's good. So when you have the means to do, the opportunity to do, the time, the resources, and you make something good happen for somebody else, God says, don't worry. In time, I'll make that happen for you. Okay, sounds good to me, Lord. So every time you come across a verse like that, mark it. That's your burning bush. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Let me suggest that when you read your Bible, always have some index cards or post-it notes and put that verse up on your bathroom mirror while you shave or on a refrigerator door or on the screen on your computer in your daily planner. See, if you have some time sitting or waiting on a long line at a doctor's office or an airport, pull out those notes or cards and review them. Just read them in your mind again and go through them. I remember many, many years ago, uh, back in the Word of Faith, uh, listening to Jerry Savelle and how quoting the Scripture and, and memorizing Scripture and writing it down would help. So I remember every time I wanted Scripture for healing or Scripture for finance or Scripture for relationship, whatever it was, I'd write it on a legal pad, then I had it typed, and I'd carried it in my briefcase everywhere I went in the world. And especially when I travel, you get up with a little jet lag and you wake up early. I'd get that out and I'd walk around the room and I'd just quote those scriptures out loud every single morning. I do that to this day, but I don't need the legal pad because I've been doing it so long, it's just in my head. And even if I forget the address, because remember, they didn't have chapter and verse when they wrote these letters and scrolls, uh, I still quote it. I still quote, Cindy does that every morning, and if she had early morning meetings or something, then she'd do it in the afternoon on her index cards, just scripture, scripture, scripture. Now, that's going in my head, in my heart, and I don't have any idea how much that's working in me, see? It's a spiritual exercise. It's not, it doesn't mess up your day. I can take the dog out at 6.30 in the morning, and that dog ought to have more scripture in him than the average believer in Summit. And I just start quoting it when I'm walking through that yard that day. And I'll add to it needs of people that are going through something in the church or needs that have just come about that we'll need at Summit. Pray them out loud, out loud, every single day. See? Now, maybe you exercise. That'd be fun for some of you. But you could put those, those scriptures on the machine, right, as you exercise and read them out loud. And as you go through the day, you've always got the Word of God in your mouth and in your heart. So David put it this way in Psalms 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you hide it? It's memorizing it, right? See? And as you go about your day, you're always consciously or subconsciously chewing on the Word of God. That's what takes fear out of your heart. It's the Word in your mouth. Every time the enemy came to Jesus, it is written, it is written. Now, if the Son of God Almighty had to quote Scripture against the enemy, who am I to think I don't have to? It's the only attack weapon I've got. The only, everything else is defensive, but I've got one sword, the Word of God, and it's a two, and it's sharper than any two-edged Roman sword. God says, chop with that baby. Strike again and again. Let it come out of your mouth. So when I get bad news, oh, so-and-so is, was just diagnosed with uh, stage 
four or three cancer or breast cancer or somebody has just had this happen, what am I thinking? I'm thinking, I got a verse or two for that, and I'll quote that out loud in praying for it. So if, I, if, if one of my kids had a problem, if I was suddenly hit with a problem, if we as a church had a need or a problem, I know exactly how to stop fear. I'm going to come against it with God's Word, and I'll quote it, whether it's financial or it's health or it's relationships or it's division, whatever it is, I'm going to come against it with Scripture. And I, like I say, I started off just like you in kindergarten. I just wrote them down on a legal pad, and that pad got bigger and bigger but I had more word in me working. Then from time to time during the day, you'll come up against something, maybe a temptation, maybe to lie, to cheat, or betray, or misrepresent facts. So what do you do when that temptation comes? You immediately speak the word of God or spit the word of God you've been chewing right into the eye of that temptation. But if you hadn't been chewing it or hiding it in your heart, you got nothing to resist with. Nothing. And the enemy doesn't fear you, but he sure fears God's word. And that's why I want to hit him with it. I want God to know I know it, but I want more the devil to know I know my right. I have certain legal rights. If you're an American citizen, you have certain inalienable rights. Well, I'm a member of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. Therefore, I have certain covenant inalienable rights. Biblical healing is one of them. It's not something I earn or Rick, I've performed well, Lord, please. No, it's a legal right, part of my inheritance. When I signed up for Jesus and said, come into my heart as my Savior, I now have a legal right. It says, by his stripes on the cross, I am healed. He sent his word to heal me, to deliver me from all destruction. So I'm claiming it not in begging. I'm declaring I have a covenant right, just like if you as an American, you have certain rights. And no one has a right to deny you your civil rights by law in this government. So the same in the kingdom of God. That's why men and women who go the distance and finish strong are people who meditate on God's word throughout the day. It's simple. But boy, is it powerful. You just do it each day and you finish that day strong. Finally, at the end of all your days, you finish life well. See, that sickness, that financial need, that marriage problem, that child problem, your character problem is working in you 24 hours a day. Getting up, laying down, it's working. So you've got to get the word working in you the same way. Start feeding it to yourself. If a doctor told you to take an antibiotic three times a day, morning, noon, and night, you'd get up and take it at midnight if you had to, to get well. And yet God says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all your flesh. There is healing in God's word. There's deliverance in God's word. There, there's power in God's word. We just have no idea how powerful it is yet we're too busy. See, don't wait all your life on somebody else to make you prosperous and bring you good success. God says, if you will meditate on his word and you will do what it says, you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. You can take that to the bank. Amen? You do it.
And if you're not doing it, you've got a nail over your door and the enemy can come in and steal, kill, and destroy. Why? He's got a legal right. But you gave it to him and you can take it away. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.